So hello, everybody. Um, so oh, we stop somewhere uh, in the middle of, of uh, chapter 8. I don't know exactly what verse it was. Um, so I decided of my own accord, <laughs> since nobody told me, um, uh, to start with verse um, 90. So I know that, that we covered some of this before, but it's on equalizing self and others. But I think it's very valuable to go through it again, uh, maybe not as in, in as much depth, because hopefully in your meditation, now that you've heard the teachings, you can add that depth in your meditation. Um, but because uh, this meditation is so important for everything that comes afterwards. You know, if if we can't really see the equality of self and others and care for others in the same way that we care for ourselves, uh, then, you know, love and compassion become quite difficult because I trumps it all, and, you know, I get all the love, I get all the compassion, I get all the attention. So we have to really um, work on this to, to see how um, we, others are just as important as we are, as we are. Yeah? And it's a hard one. It's a hard one. Yeah. So just the visualization... Merit field in front, yourself surrounded by all the sentient beings. And when you're thinking of yourself surrounded by all sentient beings, don't just think of some amorphous blob. Uh, think of individuals and how their wish for happiness is just as intense as yours. And their wish to be free of dukkha is also just as intense as yours. And so to help them attain full awakening, think that you are leading them to take refuge and generate bodhicitta. So even though this is a visualization, uh, still it's planting the seeds in our mind to be able to do this. So last Thursday, Yeshe Tapke was talking about causal dependence. And he spoke mostly in terms of sprouts and seeds, um, the external ca uh, causality and the internal causality, the 12 links of dependent arising. 
But one way to bring this understanding of causality into the method aspect of the path is thinking about our dependence on other sentient beings. And this is uh, how they provide the cooperative conditions for us staying alive. How our food, clothing, shelter, medicine come to the efforts of others. How everything we know comes through the efforts of those who taught us how everything that we have some skill at arises due to the encouragement of other people around us. So we're not self-made people. Yeah, we are dependent arisings, of course, our own body and our own mind. But how our body is, how our mind is, those are influenced quite a bit by others. And so in this way, thinking about the dependence on others, have a sense of appreciation for everything they've done, instead of blaming them for our problems. Cultivate an awareness of all they have done for us in our lives and have that a sense of appreciation and fondness for them. So take a few minutes and think about this. Create that motivation and then generate it upwards to become bodhicitta. So we often in our culture uh, think about how others have influenced us, but we usually do it in quite a negative way. Yeah, Why do I have this problem? Well, my parents criticized me when I was a lot, when I was little, or they beat me, or they told me I wasn't worth anything, or, uh, you know, all this kind of stuff that we got either from our family, from society, the chaos around us in the in society that we have no control over but that influences our life profoundly. Um, and we may dwell on those things and say, oh, yes, other sentient beings influence me and they, they're what makes me so crazy. Um, actually, it... We wouldn't be made crazy if we didn't have the afflictions. It's our afflictions that are making us crazy. And when we see the negative conditioning that we've uh, received 
from society or our family or from whoever, to remember that that's conditioning that we took in when we were young, when we didn't know how to discriminate what's accurate, what's inaccurate, what's worthwhile, what's not. We just took it all in. But the nice thing about being an adult, yeah, is uh, that you can get, you can assess those things that you just took on as a kid and discard the ones that uh, are not beneficial and that are not true. Yeah, we don't have to stay wedded to lots of misconceptions that we learned either about ourselves or about other people or about the world. Okay. So part of our Dharma practice is freeing ourselves from all sorts of misconceptions. And the other part of the Dharma practice is, uh, you know, developing the good qualities. Yeah. And so here, um, as I said before, one way to, to bring the idea of dependent arising into uh, the method side of the path is to see how much we've depended on others and how much their benefit has helped us become who we are today. And, uh, and in that way, even when you see the unfortunate things that have happened to you in your life or the messes you made where that you're tempted to blame it on other people, then it, it you know, to just see that, oh, well, because other people did these things, it also gave me a chance to develop understanding of the Dharma. I wouldn't understand the disadvantages of anger if I didn't have people, you know, if there weren't people who harmed me. That's why Shanti Deva says we should appreciate our enemies. Yeah, because who else are we going to practice patience with and have fortitude for? So, um, you know, learning to, to really feel ourselves as a part of the whole of sentient beings and how they influence us and we influence them. But each of us also have our own ability to think clearly, hopefully, and decide what to believe and what not to believe. And if we're not thinking clearly, then for sure we're going to find ourselves in a lot of messes. And when you're in a mess, that's a hint, if you haven't gotten it already, that um, there was some distorted thinking and some uh, disturbing emotions in there. Okay? We usually think when we're in a mess, it's or we're very emotional, somebody else's fault, they did it. But you know, if we didn't have the seeds of those afflictions, um, and if we didn't believe all these uh, wrong conceptions, then they, these things wouldn't have affect us. So it's uh, it's tempting to want to change other people, but it's really ourselves we need to change. And I say this because when I uh, give Dharma talks in different places, so often the question is, you know, people raise their hand. Well, my friend has a real problem with anger. How can I help him get over his anger? 
My sibling has a real problem with attachment. How can I help them not be so attached? Yeah. Oh, my parent worries so much. They're so anxious. How can I help them not be so anxious? You know, all these good intentions to change other people. Yeah. So that they become what we want them to be. Yeah. But whose anger, whose attachment, whose anxiety is the real problem? This one. Yeah, this one. Yeah, I was thinking the other day about uh, the when we do the uh, mandala offering, you know, what we usually just chant while our mind's thinking something else. Um, you know that? Yeah. Uh, so I was thinking about it and, uh, we're creating a Buddha land and saying, you know, offering that to the Buddha, but we're also imagining all sentient beings enjoying this Buddha land. And so it made me think, duh, after how many decades of reciting this prayer every day, um, that creating, uh, a good environment is my responsibility of not just uh, uh, visualizing a Buddha land uh, and offering it to the Buddha and then um, just uh, tromping through my life, not caring how I influence others or do anything. But it's my job in my daily life to create a good environment for sentient beings to live in. Maybe I can't do the whole Buddha land, but I can contribute something to the happiness of others. Okay. So you start with simple things, throwing your trash away, making your bed, cleaning the bathroom out. You know, you start with these kinds of things. And then, you know, we're able, when different people um, give suggestions, to really listen to them and think, oh, you know, maybe I could do that. It's something small, but um, I can contribute to others' welfare that way. You know, so here's where we get some, some of you, I don't know, you may not have had the toilet paper uh, teaching. I, I haven't given that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The new people, they haven't had the toilet paper teaching. Okay, so we better get them up to speed here. Uh, okay, so have you ever noticed that sometimes you're in the bathroom and you reach for toilet paper and the roll is empty? Yeah, that ever happened to you? There's one square in that one. Oh, yes. Oh, <laughs> one square that that is kind of frayed and torn in the middle. Yes, yes, that too. Okay. So, yeah, so you're in um, a delicate situation, needing some toilet paper. There's no toilet paper on the roll. You're not sure if there's other more toilet paper in the bathroom. You know, sometimes you can reach the drawers, but there's no toilet paper in the bathroom. And, you know, what do you do? Okay, so um, here's something where you can learn a very important teaching 
okay, which is when you run out of toilet paper, you put a new roll on the thing. Or when there's one or two squares left, you put the new roll on the toilet paper holder to save everybody else from being in that situation. Okay? Now, it sounds like something really dumb. But it's important, isn't it? I mean, have you, have all of you been in that situation of, yeah? So, you know, think of the person who comes after you. Do something simple that brings uh, some happiness to others and prevents them from suffering. Yeah? So you start with simple things. Everybody laughs at this, but it's, it's true. If we can't do the simple things, yeah, how are we going to do the complicated ones? You know, we generate bodhicitta. I'm going to lead all sentient beings to enlightenment. Yeah. But I am not going to put a new roll of toilet paper. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah, or I'm not going to wash their dirty cup, or whatever it is, okay? So we have to somehow get our aspirations and our actions in in line, in harmony with each other, okay? Okay, and here I want to share something. I'm not sure, I can't remember who wrote this, but if it was someone here or somebody somewhere else who sent it to me. But anyway, um, somebody was talking about how, uh, you know, in doing the retreat, they were seeing all their stories, yeah, and how the stories are all about me, aren't they? Yeah? And so uh, they said, I was able to clearly see the stories that my mind creates and how they uh, inevi- in- inevitably intensify something, how they inevitably cause pain or pleasure. And on some occasions, I was able to just drop the story, especially when it was painful. Okay, Sometimes... Just the pain of the story helps us drop it. Sometimes the pain of the story, we just go round and round more and more and more and more and more. Okay, it is much harder to drop the story when the story produces a nice feeling. You know, when you're caught in the middle of your daydream with, you know, Buddha boy and you're on the beach and, you know, the whole nine yards. Okay, and then uh, then the thought occurred to that person, you know, you know, sometimes easy to drop it when it's painful, more difficult to drop it when the story's pleasurable. And then the thought occurred to me that I really don't have any problems. All the drama in my life is created by my self-centered mind. That is quite an incense. An insight, and that's definitely true. Yeah, isn't it? If you have any doubt about it, um, 
look at your problems, what your mind is mad at, how you feel that, you know, you're entitled to have so much more than you have, but you aren't getting it and society isn't fulfilling their job towards you. Yeah. And then the person said, this thought that I, that all the drama in my life is created by my self-centeredness, this thought gave me a sense of liberation and peace. Nice, huh? When you realize, hey, you know, it's my mind creating this mess, then you realize there's something you can do about it. Yeah. If it's all other people, then what can we do? I was reading something recently, um, kind of about the, it was talking about the state of the country in a way and how things have, have become so polarized, which we all know about. But the person was commenting that it seems like now um, everybody feels like they're entitled to something and that other people don't appreciate them. So everybody has an identity. The rest of society doesn't know your identity, doesn't appreciate your identity, doesn't use the right pronouns, doesn't use the the right this and that. And so everybody nowadays uh, feels, yeah, like they're mistreated. And so this used, you know, it was something, I think, that was quite important in the civil rights movement. And then, you know, the gay LGBTQ star, I'm sorry, I don't know all the letters, um, uh, doesn't a star mean and so forth? Um, yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, you can't, uh, the, Kind of stating one's needs is very necessary, I think, in men, in many of these cases when people are oppressed and they're looking for e- uh, equal rights. But I wonder if sometimes in that uh, process of finding our own truth or expressing our own truth, we go to an extreme and uh, our self-centeredness just uh, takes over and runs the show. And I want the world to be like this, and I want society to be like this, and I want my family to be like this, and I want my friends to be like this. And there's all these microaggressions against me and people not doing this, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. In other words, kind of um, a super sensitivity and... And what this article was saying was an inability to think about ourselves as the member of a group, to think about ourselves as one cog in all sentient beings. Yeah, that so much focus on the self and my identity and how I should be known and treated and so forth. Um there isn't that team spirit. There isn't that group spirit. Yeah. And how 
that really takes its toll on us as members of a family, as members of any community, as, uh, as citizens of a country, okay, as sentient beings. Okay. So I know what I said. Some people won't like it. But um, that's my job. If I only said things people would like, then, uh, uh, then, yeah, then we'd all be watching cartoons. <laughs> yeah. I mean, do you come to, to Dharma teachings to hear things you like, or do you come to Dharma teachings to hear things that, that will help you become a better person and practice the path? Okay. So you know that I hit hard on this thing of identities. And uh, one reason I hit hard on it is I, because I can see how much that has caused suffering in my life. I was just tying that together with something else you said earlier. Um, how, to me, it seems like when I have a really strong identity about something, it goes to the negative, you know, it goes overboard. Then actually what's happening is a lot of self-centeredness comes in. And one thing you pointed out a long time ago that I examined and found to be true is that when something was unfair, when I thought something was unfair and I got upset because something was unfair, the only time I ever get upset is when it has to do with me. Yeah. When it had to, when it had to do with anybody else. I didn't get upset. It might not be fair, but I didn't really get upset about it. Yeah. So that was a big lesson about, you know, making the eye too big, the self-centered thought, and also this a strong identity. I mean, you need to have a certain kind of identity. There's a function for it, but it, it, can, it can go overboard to a place where it's detrimental. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this goes right into equalizing uh, self and others, equalizing and exchanging self with others. Because the first verse, uh, in, on that topic that Shanti Deva says, verse 90 says, first of all, I should make an effort to meditate upon the equality between self and others. I should protect all beings as I do myself, because we are all equal in wanting pleasure and not wanting pain. Okay. So, this, this verse is something obvious, isn't it? I mean, you, I think everybody knew that. Didn't you know that? Yeah. You probably knew it, but maybe you, maybe you didn't think about it very much. Okay. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, you grew up, everybody is created equal. Well, I don't know how true that is. And I don't know who did the creation and. <laughs> We have a whole refutation for that one, okay? But <laughs> um, yeah, so yes, oh yes, everybody wants happiness, and nobody wants suffering. Yes, yes, very, very true. But that cockroach in my kitchen is intolerable. Yeah, this is. Uh, I, I did some, uh, uh, cock, cockroach, incorporated cockroach into the teachings on the trip. Yeah. Um, one of my friends, uh, from 
a long time ago. I, I haven't been in touch with her, but she lived in San Francisco, and I stayed at her flat, and it was full of cockroaches. And she saw all the cockroaches as her future disciples. <laughs> and so she would walk around the path and say mantra, and, you know, so that they could hear and then think, you know, in a future life, may I be able to lead them when they have human bodies, may I be able to teach them the Dharma. Okay. So she was not disturbed at all about, by these cockroaches. I mean, of course, she probably wouldn't mind if they, you know, went somewhere else, but they didn't drive her crazy. Okay. Then other people see a cockroach. I won't mention names. Will you? Do you know anybody? Yeah? Do you? Yeah? Yeah? Yeah, <laughs> yeah she had him running around the kitchen with a little jar chasing cockroaches while she, you know, climbed towards the ceiling in fear of them. <laughs> so I, I had to remind people... Um, that the cockroaches are afraid of human beings. Yeah. We see a cockroach. Why do we go, Ugh! I mean, the cockroach isn't doing anything to us. Yeah. But they're terrified of us because if we're not mindful of where we're stepping, it like that, we squish them without any warning. Yeah. So here's the poor cockroach in danger for their life, running around when we turn the light on. Yeah, they're the ones who are suffering. Why are we terrified of them? Yeah, think about it. Think about it. You know, they're the ones who, who are in danger and afraid. And yet the self-centeredness is, oh, yeah. And then, you know, we, cockroach is one example. Okay, the big spiders in India is another example. I mean, the really big ones. Yeah, some of you ain't seen nothing. <laughs> yeah, you know, the big ones, you know, that like there are so many legs and agile that they just kind of embrace everything. Yeah, and you're afraid that they're going to Embrace your head. <laughs> yeah. One of my friends was telling me that um, his uncle had uh, died uh, some time ago, and or, or just recently, and he was he was had been very close to his uncle, and so it was quite sad for him when his uncle died, and he was living in Dharamsala at the time. And, you know, he saw one of these huge spiders, and normally he's like, Nyeh. and then he thought, oh, maybe that's the rebirth of my uncle. And he said when he thought that, he stopped being afraid of the spider. Yeah. And he realized, oh, that spider is a living being. It has feelings. It wants happiness. It doesn't want to suffer. Yeah, it could have been in a previous life, somebody I was very fond of and close to, who, because of their karma, is now in this kind of body. Yeah. So 
there's ways like this to to really um, change how we see others and see. I want I want to say the word humanity. Uh, even you may say, "Well, the, the spiders don't have humanity," but I think we can say the humanity of all living beings. Yeah in the sense that we're all alike wanting happiness and not suffering. Yeah. And we hold ourselves so often above others, like, oh, I would never do that. Yeah. And um, what's coming up in the news a lot is there was one very bad uh, police beating of one person, and uh, people really being very, very upset about that. Um, and what is coming up because of that is people talking about Rodney King. Okay. Now, uh, I think some of you were in your previous life when Rodney King, uh, the, the thing happened. Yeah, it was 1991. So I'm going to tell you, who, who Rodney King was. Okay. So he was, um, he was one black man who was, I don't know what he did, but the police started chasing him. Anybody remembered why? Huh? Reckless driving. Yeah. Okay. So reckless driving. It's not good, but it's not heinous. Okay. Anyway, they started chasing him and they were, this happened in Southern California. And they're going this way and that way on the highway and da, da 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 da. They finally stopped his car. The cops got out. Rodney King was black. The, the cops were white. They beat him to a pulp. Okay. And the whole, everybody was just incensed about this, how the cops could beat somebody, uh, like this. And then after that, you know, there were protests in, the black community in Los Angeles and the Korean community lived not far from the black community. So they got involved in that and some of their stores were being smashed. And then they were riding. Everything was a mess in Los Angeles, which is, uh, if you're from LA, that's kind of the usual state of LA. Um, but, uh, anybody else here from the LA area besides me? Oh, lucky you. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, what the whole thing with Rodney King made me think about was, you know, because some people were saying, well, why did he speed ahead? He should have just stopped and, you know, then they wouldn't have treated him that way. Uh, and then other people say, but the cops were out of control and why are they doing that? And then why are the people rioting and why are the the Korean grocers unhappy about it all and with this, everybody, all these different groups was involved. And so I sat and thought about it. And, you know, if I had been brought up in Rodney King's situation, you know, in the LA ghetto, I probably would have thought like him. If I had been brought up like the white cops, I probably would have thought like them. If I had been, you know, brought up in, you know, in a Korean family that owned a grocery store, I would have thought like them that 
all these different figures who are all in turmoil and accusing each other, actually, um, you know, we should be able to understand because we all were just, we're, we are products of our environment to some extent. I mean, there's nature and nurture, nature and karma, I mean, but there's also some of the nurture. And to be able to cut others some slack and see that they're really not that different from me. If I had been brought up like them, I would act like them. If I was living in those kind of communities, yes. Yeah. Um, so it's a very helpful way to, to think, to get ourselves out of this uh, thing of I'm superior, I would never act like that. Yeah. Um, because we hold ourselves superior in that way. Oh, these people who are strung out on drugs, I would never act like that. I would never be like that. Uh, well, um, mm, uh, I won't tell them about 10 years ago. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, you know, but, but we're always, you know, putting ourselves, I would never do like that, you know. What Putin's doing, it's terrible, it's awful. I would never do like that, you know. What Trump's doing, I would never do like that. Yeah, what he's doing, yeah. But if, I mean, imagine you were born, uh, you were born in Trump's family or you were born in, in Putin's family and your path to success was joining the K, uh, KBG. K K G B, yeah, the B J K. <laughs> anyway, you know, you would have solved that as your path to success. Yeah, your path to being worthwhile, to helping society. Yeah, and you know, so we sentient beings. I mean the. The, the conspiracy theories are not just outside of ourselves. We dream up our own conspiracy theories about our own life. Yeah. And how this wasn't fair and that wasn't fair and, and on and on and on. And this person's out to get me and that person's out to get me. When actually, you know, basically we're all in the same boat. And if we had been born in anybody else's situation, we would probably be like them. So good to be humble instead of being arrogant. Yeah? But we like being arrogant, don't we? Yeah. I am better than everybody else. Yes, we all want happiness, and we all don't want suffering equally. I am better than everybody. So I should get the happiness first. We're all, we all deserve it, but I should get it first. <laughs> yeah. And then other people can have it. You know, they, yeah, they deserve some happiness, but first me. Right? Okay. So, um, let's talk. A little bit more, review some more of this uh, a meditation about equalizing 
uh, shelf and others. You may remember it had how many points? Nine divided into how many sections? Three. Okay. And so the, the first section is talking about conventional truth. Yeah. In relationship to others. Okay. So what was the first point of that to contemplate? No. Everybody wants happiness and nobody wants suffering. Yeah, what you said was the first point in the second set. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, to just sit and think about that and go through, uh, you know, yes, you can start with family members or people you like. It's easier. Yes, they want happiness. They're equal to me in wanting happiness, not wanting suffering. Yeah. And then, uh, then spread to other people. Again, do it with individuals. Think of strangers. Now you're going to go, well, a strangers are strangers. I don't know of them, so how can I think about them? Think about the people at the checkout counters. Okay, think about the people when you call the airlines on the other end of the phone. You know, just people you don't know. The dogs, yeah, when you walk down the road, our neighbors. Um, yeah. And, and just spread it out to neighbors and really see they want happiness. They don't want suffering. And then do the same for people we don't get along with. Why are they doing what they're doing? It's because they're just trying to be happy. Yeah. And I use Trump as an example of this because it's so evident, you know, that this guy is just He's miserable and he's trying to be happy. Yeah. And so to think, you know, you want to wish them happiness, but you don't have to wish them that they get what they want. Because what people often think is going to bring them happiness is not going to bring them happiness. It's going to bring them a lot of problems. Yeah. So, you know, like somebody who thinks, oh, I want to have revenge on somebody else. Well, yeah, you don't want to say, oh, they want that. So I want them to be happy. May they take their revenge. God bless them. No. <laughs> okay. We don't think of wishing them happiness that they can take their revenge. No, because that, that's, they're just creating non-virtue. But wouldn't it be wonderful, the happiness we wish them, is that they didn't have a grudge to start with. Okay. So these people, wouldn't it be wonderful if they didn't have a grudge? Yeah. People that you know who are bitter, wouldn't it be nice if they weren't bitter, if they could actually appreciate what they had in their lives and the people around them? Okay, so, you know, when you're wishing them happiness, it's not just external thing. It's wishing them a change in their own mind so that they can uh, be happy and create the cause of happiness for themselves. 
Okay. Yeah? When I do this specifically for people I don't get along with, things like, oh, I wish they weren't bitter, I can see that part of my mind is saying, because they drive me nuts with their bitterness. So what advice do you have for keeping this not so self-centered? Because I see that I always fall to the self-centeredness anyways. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, it, it's the thing of like sometimes saying to ourselves, what I feel has to be put aside. It's not the issue right now. It's like when you're doing NVC and you're having an, a, an intense discussion with somebody and they're just downloading on you and you want like, okay, hey, it's my time. I want to say something too. I have needs here. I have feelings here. I want to say something. And, and you want to interrupt because your feelings and needs are important. And that's the exact way to make the situation worse. Okay, so at those times in NVC, in NVC, what you do, NVC is nonviolent communication. Um, what you do is you say, okay, I have feelings and needs, but I'm putting them aside right now because they are not the important thing. Right now, what the issue is, is being able to listen to and empathize with this person and see their, their side of the story. So in the same way, when you know, instead of dwelling on the thought of they drive me crazy, um, think of them having this different mental state and how, and think of them acting and speaking with, uh, you know, they're no longer acting and speaking with bitterness, but, but with, with happiness and imagine them being like that. And then what's amazing is, they feel you, you imagine this person who used to be so miserable. Now you're seeing them smiling and then you yourself feel good. So it actually tra transforms your own unhappiness without, uh, even trying to. Yeah. Okay. So, um, everybody wants happiness. Nobody wants suffering. That's all equal. That's the first point. Yeah. The second point was, um, if there are, uh, which one is the second point? The beggars? Yes. The second one is the beggars. The patience is the third. So the second point is the beggars. You see, um, beggars and they all want something different, but they all want happiness. And they think that, you know, whatever is they're, they're wanting is going to, to bring them happiness. So it's not fair, you know, that you wish some of the beggars happiness, but not others. Of course, you may not have something to give all of them, but at least in the mind to, to have a wish that wishes all of them happiness. Okay, so I have to detour a little bit and tell you another story from our trip. Okay, so um, there was a group of Singaporeans who uh, came with us to India. And these people are totally amazing. They had, they wanted to, to give like a, a big dana offering to a lot of the begs and beggars in Bodh Gaya. 
and there were a lot of them. Um, and so they, they went, you know, there, there was one, um, man who's the brother of a friend of mine in, who lives in Bogai who took them someplace to, to be able to buy the goods and things. They were getting food to be able to give people. And as that was happening, um, they started getting crowded around because the beggars saw them. Okay. So they decided to go back to our hotel and in front of the hotel, they thought it would be more organized and they could give the food out. Wrong. I was, uh, doing my, my walking meditation on the second floor, uh, of, of the hotel. And I, every time I went to the front of the building, I'd look out the window. Uh, and see what was going on in Bogaya. And uh, so I look out the window, and there's our friends from Singapore getting swallowed up by all these beggars, you know, and the kids and the grown-ups and pulling at them and pushing. And, you know, and these are people who I'm sure had never encountered anything like that. In Singapore, you don't have beggars, okay? And... uh and some people stepped in. I mean, I was on my way down the stairs, but then I noticed some people had stepped in and broken that up and got the beggars to sit down, especially the little kids, because little kids were all over it. And then they had bags that uh, the Singaporeans full of uh, snacks and different food and things like that. And then they gave it out, you know, one bag to each beggar, you know. And I was, when I saw the chaos outside the hotel that these people were experiencing, I was wondering, oh my goodness, you know, will they ever give to beggars again after this happening? And sure enough, uh, they, they came in and, uh, they made another collection to buy blankets for the beggars because it was winter time and it was cold. Yeah, so this is the kind of the spirit of generosity they have. Um, really wanting to, to benefit and, uh, and not discriminating, even though the beggars had, you know, yeah. So just something to think about, you know, you, you see all this chaos and then you think they're just trying to be happy. Yeah. And if you've locked, walked through some of the, the really deprived areas in Bogaya, which of course are just behind the expensive hotels, um, you know, just off the main street behind the market, then you would see why they were so, uh, eager to get this stuff because, uh, you know, it was pretty squalid, uh, in those places. So, you know, to, ju to just think, oh, it's people wanting happiness. That's all. Yeah. And wishing them happiness. And the way Geshe, um, Topke suggested two days ago, when we encounter people who have different opinions than us, instead of, you're wrong, you know, you're crazy, you're believing in QAnon, you know, um, 
to, to just say, oh, it's a person with a different opinion than me. You know, so instead of imputing on them very negative traits, yeah, to just say they have different opinions than me. Instead of they're stupid, they're crazy, they're going to bring back around, the, they're deplorable, they're going to bring back about the ruin of the country, blah, blah, blah. Okay, they're just people who have a different opinion. Of course, my opinion is right. <laughs> Maybe, but right now we're just seeing different opinions. People want to be happy. Yeah. And then trying to do some research. Why do people have those opinions? Yeah. Why are they, why do they believe QAnon? What makes somebody believe QAnon? Yeah. It's an interesting question. And you may have friends or relatives who are QAnon followers. Okay. But, to, to see it as uh, a way of understanding how people think instead of a way to put people down. When I was in Russia, the, the last time I was in Russia a few years ago, I'm not going to go anytime soon. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I don't want to inherit Brittany Griner's, uh, cell. <laughs> yeah, even though I don't play tennis and even though I don't take drugs. Oh, uh, basketball. basketball. Well, I was close. Yeah, it's something to do with a ball, putting a ball somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're all the same. Golf, football, you're just chasing some kind of thing. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, oh, anyway, the last time I was in Russia, um, there was a new thought among some of the, the people about Stalin and how it was the good old days under Stalin. I heard this, I studied Russian history in college, and I was like, <laughs> you guys, I mean, 20 million people were killed under Stalin. 20 million Russians were killed under Stalin. Yeah, their own people. Yeah, and you're saying Stalin was good? Well, it was true. You know, because I, the first time I had been to Russia was in, when was that? Maybe around 1970. It was still communist at the time. Um, and 69 or 70. And I didn't see beggars in the subways. The subways in Russia were gorgeous. Yeah. You, they're like art. They were like art museums. Okay. There were no beggars. When I came back in the 2000s to teach and I was in the subways, there's all these beggars. Yeah. So the people who sacrificed so much, who were luckily, who were lucky to live through the collectivization that Stalin 
forced on the people and the resultant uh, famines. Those people who sacrificed then, yeah, now are the poor people living in the suf- in the subways begging. And that just, you know, I could see how that would make many people really upset. Yeah. Now, does that mean Stalin is good and you want to, like, have a resurgence of Stalin and, you know, his way of thinking? What makes people think Stalin was good? Well, first of all, you know, those people had food. They had a place to live. Yeah. There were no beggars. Yeah. So that could make people think Stalin was good. Other people, you know, he... uh Russia was an important country. It was, you know, the big deal in the Cold War. It was the war, the great patriotic war, you know, when they pushed back the Nazis at great cost to themselves, um, you know, sieges on their main, main cities, and, you know, they were able to push the Nazis back. So Stalin gave them a sense of national pride. We were important. Look what we did. We won the, we won World War II. We are a major power. The U.S. is afraid of us. You know, we have a big military and a big industry and we're a rich country. Consumer wise, they were poor, but in terms of military and industrial, we're rich. Look what Stalin did for us, much better than the way we are now. So, you know, when I first had heard the people were, were, you know, and this was some of the young people who I knew, you know, were saying Stalin was good. I was like, what, what, what? But then when I thought about, okay, if I look at the situation from their viewpoint, oh, I could see how they could think that way, yeah, because they were born after the horrors of the collectivization. They were born after the the famines and so on. So those, you know, maybe their parents experienced them, but prob- parents usually don't like to talk about negative things to their kids. So they may not have known about these things, okay? So why I'm giving you these examples is because we can see when we look at other sentient beings, we can look at them this way or we can look at them this way. And our problem is whichever way, and it's not just two ways, there's gazillions of ways we can look at others, but whatever it is, we think that's who they are. And we think that we're better than them. Why? Why am I better than them? Why do I deserve happiness more? Because I'm me. That's the only reason. Yeah. Can you think of any other good reason? That's implying that that's a good reason. Can you think of any good reason, you know, why I am more important than others? You really think of that? No. Yeah. The only thing we can come up with was because I'm me. Yeah. 
And then we all go around thinking, I'm more important than others. You know, everybody should realize that. But they all think that they're more important than me. And that's the problem with the world. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So the first three of that one was, you know, everybody wants happiness and not suffering equally. Yeah. It would be unfair on our part to want to help um, some bigger beggars and uh, not others. Yeah, so only the beggars that line up nicely and say please and thank you, but not the ones who are chaotic or whatever it is. And then the third one is um, when you see people suffering, like, uh, you know, uh, patients in a hospital, um, everybody wants to be free of suffering equally. They may suffer from different diseases, but just the fact of being sick and wanting to to have a healthy body, everybody is equal in that way. So why should I care for some and not others? And then if you put yourself in the mix, you know, especially, you know, when you don't feel well yourself, which almost everybody doesn't feel well every day, yeah, don't you have something in going on in your body almost every day? Yeah, that hurts. You know, my little finger, this hangnail hurts. You know, my little toe. Yeah, my tooth. I brushed my teeth wrong, and my tooth hurt. You know, we all have something that that is hurting every single day. Hmm. And we dwell on it all day, (laughs) don't we? Uh My pain is worse than anybody else's. Well, I'm saying that with confidence because I'm going to the doctor now. And because my, they're trying to do something with my pain. You know, I have a pain doctor. Yeah. So my pain is hurts more than anybody else's pain, Uh, except I haven't um, felt my pain since I sat down here and started talking to you, (laughs) because I've been distracted by giving a talk, you know. Oh, I better, okay, where does it hurt? I can't find it now. Oh, oh yeah, back there. Yes, I feel it again. Yes, it hurts. Oh! (laughs) Yeah. Have you, you noticed that, that when you forget to think about what hurts, uh, it doesn't hurt? <laughs> yeah. My mother used to say that, you know. I said, no, it still hurts. I, I was, yeah. Okay. So that's the, the first three things. So a lot to actually meditate on here, you know, and to really, Try and get yourself to the point where you can wish others happiness and wish others freedom of suffering. Yeah. I mean, this is what love and compassion are. So this meditation is, you know, it's not just that we're all equal, but it's really leading us into the meditations on love, 
which wants others to have happiness in its causes, and compassion, which wants them to be free of suffering in its causes. Okay, so lots, lots to go through here. And when your mind, it, when you're doing it, sometimes if your mind just flares up and says, no, I am not going to wish that person happiness after what they did for me, to me, no way. You know, they deserve to suffer. If you find that going on in your mind, admit it. Admit it. Yeah. And then say, okay, what's that attitude going to get me? How's it going to benefit me? It's an interesting question. When you're really angry holding a grudge toward somebody, how is that... going to benefit me and try and come up with the reasons why is that going to benefit me well because they know that what they did was wrong well actually they won't I don't see them anymore (laughs) my anger isn't going to touch them my wishing them harm is not going to give them a taste of their own medicine. And anyway, if they, I want them to taste that medicine, what kind of person am I who takes joy in other person's suffering? Uh, so really push yourself on that instead of going to the thing, well, after what they did to me, they deserve to suffer. Don't, don't let it sit with that. Yeah. Because if we, we take that as the reason, as a good reason to justify our wishing somebody bad, we are, first of all, there's no way for us to, to generate bodhicitta. So we're completely making our own awakening impossible. Okay. And we're condemning ourselves to a life of bitterness. Those people, you know, if we can't stand bitter people, we're going to become one of them because what do bitter people do? They hold grudges. Isn't it? Isn't that one of the chief qualities of bitter people? They hold grudges and they feel that they're right and nobody else is recognizing their pain and how right they are. And that brings, you know, some sort of satisfaction supposedly, because we keep doing that. But when you really look, what kind of satisfaction is that bringing? Yeah? Are you getting what I'm saying? The satisfaction of now, you know, they're they're getting what they deserve. And now... They will realize, they will repent, you know, what they did to me. Finally. Yeah, because my problem is their fault. And now they will realize what they did was awful. Of course, my karma had nothing to do with it. But, you know, it's all their fault. Now they will realize it and they will feel so much shame and repentance 
And now I will know that I was right all along. <laughs> it's like Tarzan, isn't it? You know? Oh. <laughs> And then you stop and say, and how does that make me happy? Yeah? Holding on to that way of viewing myself. I am a victim. Others don't appreciate me. Holding on to others. They are so selfish. They don't realize how much they don't. My goodness, it's exhausting. Yeah? So, so push, you know, it's, it's quite interesting to have those kind of conversations with your afflictions. Yeah. Where one side of you is here and you just ask questions to your afflictions and listen, listen what they said. Yeah. Well, why are you angry? Oh, because they did. Oh, yeah, they did that. But why are you angry? Well, you don't understand. They don't, it hurt me in this way. Well, yeah, that hurt you, but why, why are you angry? And we've never thought to think about why do I get hangry when people, when I feel hurt? Yeah, we just take it as, well, that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm hurt. I'm supposed to be angry. If I'm not angry, then people are walking all over me. Yeah, it's the only way to respond is to be angry. Yeah. Well, that's a reason, but is it a very good reason? Yeah, it's not, is it? So it's good to keep, you know, keep asking yourself, okay, yeah, that happened. Yeah, you're hurt. Yeah, that was unfair. That wasn't very nice. Yeah, but why are you angry about it? It's quite interesting. Why am I angry? I've never really thought about it. We were um, checking in at one airport or another on our trip, and uh, there was uh, one family with a little toddler. The toddler was like, he was little, and he was just learning to walk. Okay, so he's kind of walking around walking in the airport, taking a few steps. And then he goes kerplunk and he falls head first, you know? So um, I'm, I'm looking on and I'm thinking, oh, that kid is going to scream. Well, mom and dad just, you know, picked him up, put him on his feet. They didn't make a big deal about it. They didn't, oh, poor baby, are you hurt? Make bad to the floor, it hurt you. You know, oh, how are you? Let me cuddle you and make you feel, and kiss you and make it feel better. You know, the parents didn't do that. Parents just set him on his feet again, and they kept walking. And the kid didn't cry. If the parents had gone, oh, you were there. Were you there? You saw it. You saw it. Somebody. I was with somebody on the trip. Yeah. 
Maybe you were crying during the time. <laughs> but yeah, it's like the parents didn't think anything about it. So the kid, he, you know, I thought that kid's fortunate. He's not growing up with the idea of every time, you know, I fall down or every time something happens, I can cry and get a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you look around, there's lots of examples of the Dharma teachings in our daily life. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm off to, in telling stories again. So, uh, two, um, two, uh, Russian monks, I get, actually, I think the, uh, one of them was Buryatian. The other one, I don't know if it was, from Tuva, maybe he was from Buryata also. Anyway, they were studying at uh, Drepung. And uh, one of them I knew from before, and the other one uh, was his friend who came, who came later. And they were both saying that they're, uh, they were doing the um, studies in Drepung, and they had finished Prajnaparamita, the studies of Avisamayalankara. Um, but both of them were feeling a little bit restless and said, we love the studies, they're interesting, but it's not changing how we think. We, how do we practice that? How do we practice the three of this and the five of that and the ten of the other thing? You know? And they, they, they wanted something that was, not just the intellectual part, but the thing that really moves you, you know, to want to change. And so the, the, one of the reasons I'm telling all these stories, aside from the fact that I like to talk about myself, <laughs> is that um, if you look in your life, there's so many instances right, left, and center, of what the Buddha taught. You know, they're right there in front of us. We just have to open our eyes and see them. Yeah. But they're, they're right there. And when you can do that and see what is happening around you in those lights, then you really gain faith in the Buddha as a teacher who knew what he was talking about. Yeah. He wasn't just going blah, blah. He knew what he was talking about. And at the same time, you catch your own mind judging and how much we judge. Okay, so I'm going to do true confession. So, as you know, my bedroom window overlooks the building site. Okay. So, yeah, in my spare time, of which I have plenty because I'm doing nothing, (laughs) I I look out the window and I look at the workers. Okay, and what are they doing? And these guys are, you know, okay, they, they hammered a few things here, but they're also standing around talking to each other. Yeah. And yeah, they they take the, the big forklift, you know, and 
you know, it goes up and down and criss and cross, and it takes them ages to get the blocks on top of the, of the, you know, what do you call that? It's like a subfloor or whatever it is, you know? And they take some ages to do that. But, you know, while one guy's futzing around with that, with a, with the forklift, everybody else hanging around, you know, piddling a little bit with some Foswell. Why is it taking some Foswell so long? Well, you know, they're carrying each block one at a time and taking their time carrying it and putting it on. And, you know, it's like, yeah, it could go a lot faster. <laughs> it should go a lot faster. We're paying these guys. It better go a lot faster. We're paying them more than what they told us we had to pay them. And these guys are just, you know, okay, it's cold. But, you know, if you work faster, you'll be warm. <laughs> okay. And then, okay, so, you know, I'm looking out the window. Then I bump into her, okay. You know, chief, chief um, what officer are you? Chief, chief, yeah. Nothing. No, 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 you know something. What? They're not here today. You think they're they're listening? <laughs> I would be delighted if they were listening to my Dharma talks. Yeah? But anyway, I bump into Venerable Ho-Ho here because she's walking out to, to talk to them. And she says, oh, it's so cold out. They're working out in the cold all day long, you know, and in the snow. And, you know, I wish we could give them some hot tea. And, you know, she has so much compassion for these guys working in the snow with this equipment. What are you talking about? <laughs> so she's just kind of like splashing cold water on my face because my whole dialogue about, you know, how, how nothing is happening and it should be going better. She's seeing the situation in a totally different way as here are other sentient beings who are kind enough, you know, to, to work out in sub, you know, sub freezing, um, temperatures to build the Buddha hall. And she's very grateful to them. And I'm, um, well, you know me. <laughs> okay. So, you know, excellent, you know, just these situations happen in your daily life. And it's like, oh, look at how I'm thinking. Yeah, is how I'm thinking in align with the, what the Buddha said? Is it something that I should practice on the path or something I should abandon on the path? Oh, well, in my case, it's usually something to abandon on the path. Okay, so, okay, chill out. Yeah, chill out, children. Yeah, just chill out. Yeah. Why don't you thank them? Well, I do thank them, you know. I gave her a box of, what was it? Chocolate-covered mints. Yeah, chocolate-covered mints to give to the guys. Yeah, I didn't eat them myself. 
and I love them. Yeah. Hint. <laughs> no, no, these chocolate-covered uh, mints were, were not up to my standards. I could give them away. <laughs> so, okay, <laughs> that, that's my repentance. <laughs> okay, uh, yeah, so anyway, these situations um, uh, that verify what the Buddha taught are right in front of us all the time, you know, and to just notice them. Of course, our tendency is we want to point them out to other people. Yeah. So that when we are rude to somebody else and they are insulted, we can say to them, this is a perfect uh, opportunity for look, for you to see how your mind is, uh, you know, believing in conspiracy theories and you're thinking all sorts of horrible things about me, but I didn't really mean to hurt you. Just a little bit. Uh, <laughs> you know, that it's not for us to tell other people. Okay. Only I am alive to do that. And I do that, you all know. Okay. So beware. On camera. Yes, on camera. Live stream. Yeah, live stream. So people get it. Yeah. <laughs> But, but what I, but when I do that, look, okay, look, who, how are you reacting? What is the sense of I at that moment? That sense of I at that moment is the object to be negated in the emptiness meditation. Okay? So look at how you're seeing things. Look at how the I is appearing. Yeah. Have some compassion for me. I'm just trying to help you. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But, but, but look. And, um, yeah, these examples of the teachings are everywhere. Okay. So we're going to dedicate. 